0: into trades by Fed Vice Chairman Richard Clarida and also Regional Presidents Eric Rosengren and Robert Kaplan, both of whom have resigned uh, since. It seems, Barry, this is developing into what could potentially be quite a big crisis for for the Fed. It's lost two of its regional presidents. It could lose its Vice Chairman. It could even affect uh, Jerome Powell himself.
1: Yes, I agree with that, Peter. I think this is very serious stuff. You can't have the, the members of the Federal Reserve Board, particularly the vice chairman, trading securities when, indeed, all of the bond-buying program
2: is boosting the stock market. So, I mean, this is, this is outrageous. I think it does call into question whether Jerome Powell is going to be renominated by the president.
0: OK, well, thank you very much for your thoughts. You heard there our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, also Mark Toe, Director of Asset Management at WingFung Financial, and Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Economist at UBP. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. Mainly to the upside, the SX200 in Australia is up a third of a percent. Over in South Korea, uh, the Cosby has risen two-thirds of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei. 225 right now, rebounding about one and a third percent. Uh, Looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 0.6 percent at the open. And all eyes on the commodity markets uh, this morning. Uh, Brent crude oil, first of all, uh, is up slightly, about 0.1 percent at $82.74 a barrel. Natural gas slipping a little bit, about a third of a percent here in Asian trading. Gold is also down a couple of dollars at $1,758 an ounce. That's it from me this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Jim Gordon, and Janice Wong coming up after the news. The weather forecast for today, fine and dry. It's going to be hot during the day. Maximum temperature is about 32 degrees and the outlook is it's going to be hot with sunny periods tomorrow. And it's 29 degrees right now, 65% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Barry Walk with the news headlines. Ways to boost
3: land and housing supply are expected to be key focuses in Chief Executive Carrie Lam's policy address later this morning. Joanne Wong reports.
4: Among the ideas being floated to boost land supply in the new territories are the development of wetlands near Lok Ma Chau and making it easier for indigenous villagers to trigger the sale of ancestral land. There have also been calls to make it easier to trigger the redevelopment of old buildings in urban areas under the compulsory land sale scheme. And one way to free up more land is to relocate the Kwai cargo terminals to Tun Moon. Mainland officials have spoken about the need to tackle Hong Kong Hong Kong's housing woes leading up to Mr. Slam's policy address.
3: A Macau lawmaker says authorities have so far managed to test about half of the residents in the SAR in a citywide COVID testing campaign. It follows the discovery of four confirmed coronavirus cases in mainland renovation workers and Vietnamese laborers who work in the same place. The citywide testing began on Monday night, and the government said it would be completed in 48 hours. Lawmaker Agnes Lamb said the testing campaign was effective and had generally received public support, but there was a growing call from shuttered businesses for compensation.
4: There are a lot of noises here that people want the government to kind of compensate their laws, and also even the lawmakers, I think most of our colleagues, they support that the government should have some kind of compensation to people in those kind of industries.
3: Former Facebook data scientist Frances Haugen has told Congress that the social network's giant's products harm children and fuel polarization in the United States, while its executives refuse to make changes because they elevate profits over safety. Her testimony drew pledges Congress would take up long-delayed action against the company. U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal, the Senate Commerce Subcommittee Chairman, had this to say during the hearing. Facebook, as you have put it, was Haugen's so powerfully maximizes profits and ignores pain. Facebook's failure to acknowledge and to act makes it morally bankrupt. Our children are the ones who are victims. Teens today looking at themselves in the mirror. Feel doubt and insecurity. Mark Zuckerberg ought to be looking at himself in the mirror today. And yet, rather than taking responsibility and showing leadership, Mr. Zuckerberg is going sailing. U.S. trade authorities say they're seeking comments on whether to reinstate tariff exemptions on more than 500 Chinese imports. The listed products includes industrial components, thermostats, medical supplies, bicycles and textiles. It said in reviewing exclusion requests, it would consider whether the products were only available from China and the potential economic harm of granting or denying such requests. More news on the hour from RTHK.
1: Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your co-host today is Jim Gold. Good Good morning, morning. Jim. Good morning, morning, Jim. Today we'll be talking about the shortage of domestic helpers and also Japan's new Prime Minister. An additional 200 quarantine rooms at Pennys Bay for inbound domestic helpers were snapped up almost immediately on Monday when bookings reopened. And this has left many employers disappointed amid a territory-wide shortage of domestic helpers. Labour chief Lo Chi-kwong had previously acknowledged there weren't enough domestic helpers coming in to satisfy demand, but stressed that numbers must be carefully managed to minimize COVID risks. Meanwhile, the government has decided to freeze domestic helper wages at $4,630 for the second straight year. So is Hong Kong striking the right balance in its strategy in dealing with foreign domestic workers? And how long is it going to take before things return to normal? After 9.15 this morning, we'll be discussing another change of leadership in Japan with former Foreign Minister Fumio Kushida formally taking office as the new Prime Minister. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on two three three eight eight two six six. Now, to uh, kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Annie Lestari, founder of the Association of Indonesian Migrant Workers, and Chan Chung-Fung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies. Good morning to both of you. morning. Maybe we can start with uh, Mr Chan. So, so um, first of all, how serious is the shortage of uh, domestic
5: helpers right now?
6: Yeah, the shortage is still very serious. Uh, for the figures, uh, two years ago, uh, the total population of domestic helpers is almost 400,000. But now it's only 350-something Means We are losing about 50,000 domestic helpers in Hong Kong. Uh, yeah, it's quite serious, and even uh, for those visas, they are still strained either in the Philippines or so in Indonesia, it's about 6,000-something. So a lot of people, a lot of employers, they are still waiting for the arrival of their workers.
1: And at the moment, do you have any idea how many helpers are, are waiting to come to Hong Kong?
6: Uh, about, according to our estimate, it's about 6,000-something. Uh, previously, it's about 7,000, but uh, for, for the last month, uh, I mean uh, for the month of September, it's almost 1,000 came to Hong Kong, but uh, still about 6,000-something are uh, still waiting to come to Hong Kong.
1: And how desperate are some of these uh, families who, who are waiting for a domestic helper? Are, are there any examples you can share with us? Come uh, again? I mean, like, how desperate are, are some of these families who are still waiting for a domestic helper? Are, are there any examples you can share with us?
6: Yeah, uh th- so many examples. Uh, many employers they are waiting for over, even waiting for over one one year. Uh, I can give you uh, some extreme cases. One of my clients uh, actually they are hire uh, helper to take care of the old lady. The lady is seriously sick. All the family members they have to go to either go to school or go to work. Nobody can take care. Now they have to send this old lady to the house for the aged. Um, no one can help.
1: So, so from what you're saying, I guess you're not uh, happy with the government strategy in dealing with foreign domestic helpers. Then,
6: you uh, from employer's point of view, of course, they are not happy. Uh, but as agency, we understand. The government's position to control uh, the virus from outside, but we still think about uh, actually government can still uh, add the quarters or increase the quarters. Not only at 50, uh, we have two reasons. First, is uh, from the past experience, even uh, from Philippine market, there are some infected persons so or infected uh, workers coming into Hong Kong, the, all of them, they are find out uh, during
5: the isolation period or quarantine period.
6: Uh, so far, I think uh, no one really uh, carried the virus into society, mm-hmm. uh, into wow. our community. That's very important uh, factor we have to think about. It means Hong Kong's quarantine system works quite well and then the second is uh, from also from the experience of uh, Indonesia because uh, for the month of September there are about 370 workers from Indonesia coming to Hong Kong so far no one really get confirmed mm. with uh, coronavirus so for Indonesian suppose they should not be treated the same way as to Filipino workers. Uh, it means the group of Indonesia, they are in some sense more safer than Filipino because uh, the, from the infection rate, that's why we can consider to increase the quarter, especially the quarter for Indonesian to come to Hong Kong. So 50, because currently the government, they, they, they set up a figure 50, to either group. But these two groups, they are in different situations.
2: Okay, well, we can bring in uh, any, any Lestari uh, in a moment. Um, but uh, as you say, the quarantine system is working. Obviously, uh, the authorities want to be very careful about not allowing in the uh, coronavirus from outside. But the number of uh, f- rooms facilities are very limited, aren't they? I mean, the government just recently added another, another 200 rooms to um, make them available at the, the uh, Penny's Bay quarantine centre. There's also the quarantine hotel. But uh, um, is it enough? I mean, um, could this not be done on a larger scale? Uh, the 200... It doesn't
6: mean anything at this sense because the government, the first the government, they control the number of arrivals at 50. So, no matter there are 200 or even 2,000, it doesn't mean anything. Every day, the maximum amount of, to be allowed in is only 50. So, hmm. uh, the additional yeah. rooms doesn't really play any function. But, here. but,
2: but if the quota was increased, uh, would, yeah. we, would, would there be enough? You know, would there be enough quarantine rooms in order to ensure that uh, enough domestic helpers were coming into Hong Kong? Uh,
6: If if they lose, I mean, if they lose the quarter or they increase the quarter Mm. for the new arrivals, then that's the time we can think about the hotel rooms available. Actually, right now the hotel rooms. I think
2: it's much more than the quota itself. Um, Any Lastari, how about that point that uh, Chan Tung Fong was making—that uh, helpers from the Philippines and uh, Indonesia could be treated uh, somewhat differently? Oh
4: well, I leave it to the you know to the analysis of the health department. Although, of course, in my point of view, I do not agree to that—that uh, that there should be a discrimination in treating uh, domestic workers uh, during the COVID-19. As what has been mentioned, you know, none of us actually carry the COVID-19 to the society, and if anything happens, because uh, COVID-19 could infect anyone, regardless of your nationality, your ethnicity. So, of course, you know, uh, certain countries might be safer than others, but doesn't mean that, you know, we are fully, fully sterilized, you know. So, but again, uh, everything can be detected during the isolation period. So there is really no need to worry about that. So I think um, the different kind of treatment, uh, that's also trigger different type of discrimination. And, of course, you know, the most thing that we are worried is that the Hong Kong public is quite sensitive to any information, even if the information is is false or is, is wrong, you know uh, their mind is always uh, directed to to stigmatize the the most vulnerable in the society so any kind of statement that really trigger discrimination is something that we really do not like it, and we, we it is quite sensitive at this point, so I hope nobody is you know. Uh, taking to that kind of point of uh, putting our situation into more uh, precarious and very vulnerable situation simply because this kind of stigma. Although it might be true, but again, I you know, uh, my position is anyone could bring in COVID-19. You know, if you are coming from overseas, so certain like places may be safer than others, but it doesn't mean that we are 100% sure for that.
1: What about the uh, current uh, qu- uh, quota for um, quarantining uh, foreign, foreign domestic workers and do you think uh, that that should be increased i mean right i mean earlier mr chan said it should be a uh, i mean the, the current uh, figure of 50 should be uh, increased a, a bit more
4: yes i i believe that i think hong kong families are very disparate at this point it has been mentioned in the past two years or even even more than one year you know uh there the is significant cut down of the number of domestic workers And, you know, one of the major reasons, this is our strongest criticism to the Hong Kong Immigration Department, because anyone who loses a job, you know, for whatever reason, the government makes them leave Hong Kong. Yeah, because once they are terminated, they have to leave Hong Kong, even they could come back. But again, with this kind of quota, it means that they they can only come back for the next six months or one year. So one of the strongest uh, the reason why the decline is very significant, also the Hong Kong government on the immigration does not want to give this kind of visa flexibility for anyone to change employer right away if you lose the job and And you know this Covid nineteen really make us easily lose the job for whatever reason, financial or sometimes you know tension uh, within the family misunderstanding or whatever reason doesn't really matter so last year that you know in 2020 there was a few months that the hong kong immigration was actually allowing anyone to change job you know because they don't want to bring in newcomers. but since uh, january this year they cut down that and they say you know these domestic workers are are taking advantage of covid-19 to change employer and something like that As complaint from employers group so since then, they cut they that kind of regulation to have a visa flexibility and deport anyone who are actually losing the job during COVID-19. And that is one of the major reasons why the shortage become very, very, you know, significant at this point.
5: Mm-hmm. And then
4: we agree that, you know, the number of people who are trying to come in is really big. Like now we are handling few members who are actually having a, sick, a holiday, you know, like they been in... In, in Indonesia for few months already, they cannot come back because of the vaccination. And uh, they, they left with that vaccination. Like, they already left somewhere in May. And then now that they come back uh, with vaccination already, the problem is there is no room for, you know, for for quarantine. So I think the government really has to increase that kind of uh, number. And, and again, our criticism is, why only, you know, lockdown for domestic workers' community in certain hotel, while the other member of the society, as long as they are resident and already vaccinated back in the Philippines, Indonesia, could choose from 36 hotels. So that's kind of another discrimination, that at least they have more options of hotel, but we don't. So increasing a number of quarantine will really uh, you know, help both the work, the employers uh, who are desperate for workers and the workers who are also desperate for income.
1: And Mr. Chan, uh, earlier you talked about the uh, shortage of uh, domestic helpers here. Uh, So so what's been the consequences of this uh, imbalance in uh, in supply and demand? Uh,
6: Because of the serious imbalance uh, between the demand for the workers and the supply of workers, uh, I think the first one is the increase of the salary uh, in the market. Uh, For currency, if any employer, they want to... Uh, keep the workers working in the house after they finish contract surely they have to increase the salary to the workers or if work uh, employers they want to hire someone new from the market of course if they just offer uh, the minimum wage surely they cannot find anyone they want and especially for those employers with some special conditions some the uh, the sick or the elderly or uh, infants, something. They have to increase something more to the workers and also the working conditions. Uh, this is one. The second is the, the service fee to the agency also increased because of the uh, scarcity of the supply of the workers. Agency, they, they also have, it's also quite difficult, or quite hard for the agency to look for or recruit workers. That's why the service fee to employers also increase at the same time.
2: Looking at a recent report by the Helper Choice Organization, uh, uh, its survey found that the average salary for foreign domestic workers uh, had gone up to $5,144, which was an increase of 2.6% from a year ago. Um, So the the minimum salary has been frozen, but uh, like you say, uh, employers are being forced. To uh, pay more, aren't they, to, to hire domestic helpers? There are even reports of uh, helpers being paid up to um, twenty thousand dollars a month in uh, certain areas of Hong Kong Island. Uh, um, is that uh, does that tally with your observation?
6: Uh, if according to my observation, uh, I think that uh, for a worker earning twenty thousand, I never heard about <laughs> this. Uh, maybe uh, this they they got something wrong uh, for some workers holding domestic helpers, but they are working at the same time as driver. That's true. They, they, they might earning about 15 to 18 or even 20, but they are not uh, ordinary domestic helpers. They are what we call family drivers. So uh, it's, it's totally different kinds of uh, job situation. Yeah. Uh, but for general domestic helpers, I think uh, 5,000, 5, 100 to 6,500 is the current is the normal price or normal market price for for domestic helpers, especially for those working in Hong Kong. Of course, for those newly arrived from the Philippines or from Indonesia, uh, some of them, they are still accepting the basic and minimum wage. Mm.
2: 4,630. Yes. Mm. Mm.
6: So,
5: so I guess
1: uh, the government's decision to uh, freeze domestic helpers' wages at uh, $4,630, that won't uh, really affect much them, affect the domestic helpers much, right?
6: Yeah, for, for this year, uh, the government uh, decided to remain the salary the same as last year, or frozen the salary. Uh, it, it's a bit out of the... Expectation, because uh, for the economic or the market mood, everyone is expecting a little bit increase.
2: Any, yeah, 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 sure. Any Lestari, how did you feel about that when the uh, the minimum wage was uh, frozen again for a second year running?
4: Well, yes, we are actually very, very upset and also actually very angry because. Uh, you know, uh, there has been a lot of indication that this pandemic, a lot of employers are even willing to pay more. That means really uh, there is a financial capacity in the part of employers to even pay more, and they don't really mind to pay more. Uh, and then we already talked to the Labor Department through the dialogue they organized a couple of months ago and explained. That, you know, uh, based on the current study, we are really, even before the pandemic, we have been telling them that we are fighting for living wage. It's not only decent wage, because we need to have wage that make us able to live in Hong Kong as a place of super expensive, uh, you know, a, a place uh, in the world today. And then we are telling them that our demand is around 6,000, not less than 6,014, which is not really like uh, you know, just 30% uh, on top of the current minimum wage. And then we already explained to them the basis of that. We are even using the Hong Kong government statistics of the per capita expenditure that uh, they already released in 2015 or 17. So we are telling them for a person to live in Hong Kong, not to be not to be in hunger or in other kind of uh, worsening situation, at least this is the minimum wage we should have. And the pandemic proof that a lot of families do not mind to pay more as long as they have one worker and then as long as they can get a good service, for example. But then what is very surprising uh, in this kind of situation, despite like, what has been said by Mr. Chen, you know, the market is in the mood of even paying more, 5,500 to 6,500, but then the government decided to throw into the, re- the same amount of salary. What does it mean? That means they want slaves in Hong Kong. Now, the government is saying that, oh, the family is free to choose to pay more. Yeah, but how many families are choosing to pay more compared to families who don't want to pay more, even if they have financial capacity? You know, so again, the government seems that very, uh, you know, very okay. And they kind of enjoy having, uh, you know, slaves uh, in Hong Kong uh, and working the slaves, for example by giving this just a minimum token of peanut to the workers. And honestly, during pandemic, we are really, really struggling financially because there is no financial assistance even given to us at this point. Well, the Hong Kong resident enjoy 10,000 for doing nothing, you know, and anyone 18 years and above will get at least 10,000 and this 5,000 voucher of subsidy of food and other kind of expenses, we get nothing, not even $1, not even for one month. I right. the formula applied. So that right. kind of sentiment we have at this point.
1: All right, I just got an email from one of our listeners, uh, KS. Uh, KS says, um, I thought slavery was illegal, but it appears rife in Hong Kong. It is uh, about time domestic helpers were able to negotiate their own contracts so that they can really have a whole day off, do not work 24 hours a day or even 18 hours a day. They can watch TV, can talk on the phone, are allowed a social life and are given more than a camp bed in the kitchen. If I had to put up with that type of treatment, I would expect a much higher salary. No wonder we are short of around 50,000 domestic helpers. And that's uh, by uh, KS. Uh, what do you, what do you uh, think, Mr. Chan?
6: Uh, suppose, you, according to labor uh, regulations, uh, workers can take uh, one rest day per week for 24 hours. Uh, Of course, in reality, 24 hours, uh, uh, nobody can say 24 hours the worker uh, can leave the house for 24 hours because according to the contract, their place of residence should be employer's house. It means even they go, no matter how long they go out for holiday during the day, at the night time, they still have to go back to employer's house for rest. So uh, I think some workers, they might misunderstood uh, for 24 hours, they can go out for 24 hours, leaving employer's house for 24 hours. Uh, I, I don't think that that's the right uh, interpretation of the labour regulation. Of course, once they go back to employer's house, suppose they still have time to take a rest. Employer should not give them uh, additional job to perform. During
2: their rest days, that's what I understand. Hmm. Um, Any Listari, how about that point about um, that the uh, the listeners were suggesting that domestic helpers should be able to negotiate their own contracts with uh, employers? And w- w- is that practical? Would that work?
4: Well, actually, that is possible. I mean, if Hong Kong government do not impose the live-in mandatory and they will allow employer-employee to decide whether they have to live in or live out, you know, or maybe even if live in, what kind of accommodation, that kind of arrangement, uh, you know, that will be, that gives us the space to even negotiate, you know, if there is no room in the house where we are going to sleep, for example, then the employees really obliged to provide either, you know, know, separate uh, quarters for the worker or, paying some money so they can rent a space outside, you know. So that kind of stress, but the current regulation of live-in makes it impossible, like what Mr. Chen said. You have to live in, in our employer, so even holiday so-called 24 hours, you are still not allowed to live to be free from your so-called office in just 24 hours. You have to live in the morning and you have to come back in the evening because if you stay out, you will be categorized as illegal. But then again, in theory, you should not work at all in 24 hours, but in practicality, most of us have to work in the morning before we leave, and we have to work again after we come back. And then in terms of salary, you know, I think, again, it is proven again that uh, what we want is actually...
1: All right. Um, sorry, uh, Eniel story we'll have to continue our discussion after the uh, news at nine. Uh, um, f- okay, we'll take a short break first. Uh, Eniel story that's uh, founder of the Association of Indonesian Migrant Workers and Chan Tung Fung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies. We'll continue discussion with us uh, right after the news summary. And uh, right now, the uh, temperature or uh, the weather forecast uh, it will be a fine and dry with highs of around 32 degrees. We'll be back right after the news.
3: Also made teens feel better about themselves. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
1: Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Wednesday morning with Jim Gold and me, Janice Wong. We now continue with our discussion on the shortage of foreign domestic workers here. And of course, we want to hear your thoughts, your questions and your comments. Uh, Our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Our telephone number is 23388266 and our Facebook page is backchat at rthkradio3.
2: And just uh, first, uh, a few emails here from uh, listeners relating to a topic that we were talking about yesterday, which was the growth of uh, traffic, vehicle traffic on the roads. Uh, um, Paul Zimmerman writes, uh, limiting vehicle uh, growth in our busy areas must be done. Current vehicles uh, crossing our boundaries is uh, 16,000 a day, down from a peak of 45,000 before COVID. However, we have built uh, yet to use a vehicle crossing capacity of 220,000 vehicles a day, Including the Hong Kong Macau Bridge, Liantang Liantian crossing, an unaided Western Corridor. Government needs a plan for this growth. Right now, there is none. Um, and Mike uh, writes uh, relating to uh, quarantine policy. Uh, Subject uh, heading three-week quarantine policy. I declare my interest up front. I won't quarantine in a hotel for three weeks again. Been there, done that. Read uh, some of the latest CDC recommendations. That's the Centers for Disease Control in the US, I think. And uh, Hong Kong is way out in the twilight zone with regards to COVID mandates. To err on the far, far, far side of caution, as the Hong Kong government has done, these past months has cost most of us dearly. I imagine it does suit the government well to have a generation of apartment dwellers that fear one another and follow every mandate willingly without question. Isn't it time we start to question when is too much too much? four to five-day quarantine after known exposure and 10-day mask wearing is what the CDC recommends. Wouldn't that help alleviate some of our problems with regard to domestic help? And Paul writes, it's been seven weeks since the last local COVID-19 case was reported in Hong Kong, so why are we still all wearing masks? It's pointless.
1: All right. And and I also have a few emails here. This one is from Philip. He says, uh, with over 70,000 families having departed from Hong Kong due to whatever reasons, I'd take a good guess that many of those employed as foreign domestic workers. So the shortfall mentioned, uh, you bracket, uh, 60,000 at the beginning of your program may not be that large after all. That uh, is from Philip. And uh, another email um, from David He says, uh, not all domestic helpers are hard done by. Many have a good employer, nice sleeping accommodation and good food and working environment. And I blame the immigration department for not inspecting the living quarters of those who are having a bad time. And many Hong Kong people have to live on less than $5,000 a month. And uh, that is uh, from David. Okay, let's uh, continue with our discussion. Um, All right. uh, so, so, what do you think, uh, Anya story? Just now, it's uh, there's an email saying that uh, maybe we should have uh, shortened quarantine for uh, domestic helpers. Would that help? Do you think?
4: Well, you know, um, and that will help actually. That will help employers to pay less because at this point, you know, we heard enough the complaint of employer side how expensive it is to hire one or to bring in even their you know, uh, worker who is supposed to be on home leave or, you know, so, so the, the, the shorten of the quarantine will also be a help. But I think the best help is really the Hong Kong government to waive the cost of the quarantine itself. So then the employer will have less financial burden of hiring new or maybe even bring in their old one. So I think that has been our position, you know, in, in the past also.
1: And Mr. Chan, what's, what were your thoughts?
6: Yeah, for the period of quarantine, I think it depends on the, the real uh, medical situation. As what I just mentioned, uh, people should be treated, or groups of people should be treated in a different way if they have different uh, health situations. Uh, according to the um, uh, Mr. Law Chi-Kuang's uh, figures, uh, for the last month 20, uh, uh, 26 people among 900 something, uh, among 600 newly arrived workers get infected and zero from 374 from Indonesia by this figure it means Indonesian people coming to Hong Kong, they should be treated in different ways because they are more safer uh, first either we can increase the quota for Indonesian people to come to Hong Kong or we should downgrade Indonesian people from currently category A to category B, then they can stay in general quarantine hotels not confined only to Silke Hotel or Palace Bay mm-hmm. centers. Uh, this is what I understand. Uh, it's nothing to do with the race, but with the real infection situation Hmm. and at the same time at the same time if if indonesian are really proved to be more safe or the situation in indonesia is much better than in the philippines so suppose the people from indonesia come to hong kong after fully vaccinated suppose they can stay in the quarantine center only for two weeks, like other tourists mm. coming to Hong Kong. Not as long as three
1: weeks. Mm. So Eni Lestari, Mr. Chan here, he's saying it's uh, nothing to do with race. It's uh, to do with uh, the actual risk at the country. What, what are your thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, I can, I, I understand that, you know, uh, that's why we just leave it with the health department to decide on that matter. The only thing is, again, uh, I just want everyone to avoid of mentioning that kind of uh, statement out loud because remember, uh, the Hong Kong public cannot distinguish uh, between false and you know correct news. Or even uh, sometimes they are because of the you know paranoid of uh, the the infection, they just blame everyone, and we we experience a lot of that. So I think uh, we just want the government or any parties to be more wise in terms of, of, you know, making the policy when it comes to that kind of particularity.
5: Uh,
2: Mr. Chan, um, Annie Lestari said earlier that she'd like the Hong Kong uh, government to um, meet the cost of uh, quarantine for domestic helpers uh, instead of the employers. Uh, is that a good idea?
6: You've uh, really reduced the quarantine, of course, that, uh, in some sense better to it because at least they can save some money on quarantine but uh, for this one I am I, not so sure whether it's right or wrong because it's totally uh, medical or based on the scientific uh, data to, to support the idea. I am I, not in the position to comment on this one.
1: And uh, Mr. Chan, I know earlier you were suggesting that the government should uh, sort of treat uh, Indonesian helpers and uh, Filipino helpers uh, slightly differently when it comes to quarantine. Um, but apart from that suggestion, what do you think the government can do in terms of the actual booking system for for these uh, quarantine spaces? What improvements yeah. can there be?
5: Yes,
6: that, that's that's what I I, I just mentioned. Uh, I think uh, let data speak. If the data really shows. Uh People from Indonesia, they uh, carry, uh, not, not carry, uh, infection, it's much, much less than the other group. So they should be treated the other way or at least reduce their quarantine period. Uh,
1: Ms. Chan, I'm talking about the actual uh, booking system for the uh, quarantine places. Do you think um, do you think it can be improved? I mean, on Monday when when uh, when uh, the uh, the booking system was reopened. Oh, uh, booking system. Oh, sorry. Yes. Okay,
6: uh, for the booking system, uh, that, that's another issue. Uh, Currently, uh, the issue is the room available. The rooms available is much much less than the demand. That's why uh, too many people are fighting for only those. 50 rooms a day Uh, first question the second is uh, i think for the last few days within the employment uh, industry and also among employers there's a rumor at least uh, at this moment i will call call it a rumor Uh, some people they are scalping scalping or they are blocking the queue to fighting for the room and uh, with some kinds of apps, it's possible, I think. Uh, because most of people, once they get locked in to try to reserve the room, within a few minutes, nothing left. Only some very skillful people, they can get a room. Uh, that, 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 that's really the issue to most of the employers uh, Second, another issue uh, for, for this booking system, actually I also advise to the government many times, because currently the government, they take the mentality of allocation to, for, for those rooms to employers. It's only, only one mentality. Who runs fast? Who gets the room? But that's not a fair allocation. Uh, we are advising the government, they should, based on the date of
5: visa issuer, I mean, who get the visa
6: earlier, they should be allowed chance to get the room first. And then uh, it's quite very simple, because for every visa, the date of issue is clearly printed in the visa. Uh, that's why I'm wondering, Lord concept. said, uh if based on the state of iso it's quite difficult to identify but it's too easy to identify because every visa there is a state of issue so for example for for some workers they get the visa almost one year ago and then for some workers they get visa last month but if by this picking system or only who comes first who get the room perhaps the worker with visa only released the last week, they can get the room. And then for those workers who get a visa one year ago or six months ago, they are still waiting for nothing. This is not the fair allocation of public property. Remember, Tannis Space Center is not a private property. It's a social property. It's the public resources of the society. So it should be allocated in the more sensible way to serve or to address the real issue, to address the employers' issue. Because more for those employers, they need a room, but we have to uh, a fair system to in allocation of these rooms.
1: So, so Eni Lestari, Story, what do you think of uh, Mr. Chan's suggestion there?
4: Yeah, I think that. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree with that kind of point but also uh, you know that the government should not make it as a competition of even uh, booking a quarantine hotel Uh, you know like what Mr. Song said that you know whoever can run faster will get the booking but you know remember a lot of Hong Kong families are also busy families many of them also are old and elderly so uh, you know the government should actually consider different of their families when they are allocating the cooking, who should get privacy. And, and as, as, as for today, as long as you have money and you can run fast then you can get the cooking, but again, what about families who are really, you know, in this trade of uh, service? And they cannot do that. They have to wait maybe for another six months or even more. So I think that kind of unfair agreement um, is also part of the government's at the point. And like what Mr. Chan suggests, you know, why don't put according to the v- issuance of the visa, that's also another option, but also to check among Hong Kong families who are in the most immediate position now, you know, just with elderly, for example, with the babies, for example, or children. So why don't put priority on that rather just putting it on the market and try, you know, for a slot?
1: All right, we have to leave it there. But uh, thank you uh, to both of you for joining us this morning. That's uh, Eni Lestari, the founder of the Association of Indonesian Migrant Workers and Chan Tung Fung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies.
2: And uh, uh, another email here which uh, came in yesterday, which we didn't have uh, time to read out, uh, related to uh, COVID uh, and quarantine. Uh, uh, Alonso writes... um, As uh, RTHK repeated in your news headlines, uh, Macau has announced uh, COVID testing for its entire population of 650,000. This is the second such mass testing in just one week, and this follows the discovery of uh, one local infection i think alonso actually the number subsequently was found to be four but anyway um, very low number alonso goes on uh, as a result of this uh, isolated case the authorities that suspended plans to relax quarantine rules for inbound travelers from guangdong to describe this as an overreaction is an understatement how can macau whose economy largely hinges on uh, inbound visitors to its casinos survive if this becomes the protocol every time there is a new infection and what does this mean for Hong Kong? Will the Carrie Lam administration announce citywide testing if we have a single new infection? How can our borders with uh, China and our quarantine rules, which are all, uh, amongst the st- most strict in the world, be relaxed if we adopt such a restrictive model? Our zero COVID approach is not a sustainable policy. It will kill our economy. We need to follow Singapore, which chose last month to piz- pivot away from zero COVID to with the virus. While this has resulted in a spike in cases in Singapore 98% were either asymptomatic or had mild symptoms while the number of serious cases appears to be under control with 226 current hospitalised cases described as serious of which 35 are in ICUs Admittedly for Hong Kong to move away from its zero Covid policy it will likely require our vaccination rate which has stalled at 63% for double jabbed to reach 80% Last year, Uh, sorry, latest data show that our daily vax numbers have plunged with just 5,412 first jabs yesterday. Uh, That would be Monday compared with a peak of over 35,000 in August. What is the government doing to reverse this worrying trend? That from Alonso.
1: All right, uh, it's now uh, 19 minutes past nine and we're going to turn to our final topic this morning, the new Japanese Prime Minister. Fumio Kishida has formally taken office as Japan's new Prime Minister, succeeding Yoshihide Suga, who resigned after just one year in office. To discuss this latest change in leadership, we're now joined on the line by William Pisek, a Tokyo-based journalist and author. Good morning, William. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. So, so what can we expect um, from uh, Fumio Kishida? I mean, some analysts say he represents stability, and some sees him as a boring bureaucrat. So, which is it?
7: I think it's more the uh, it's more the latter. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've been here for about twenty years now, and I've experienced ten, you know, Kushida is my tenth prime minister here in Japan, and I'm not sure I've ever seen less excitement about a new government and. I think that when you look at the idea that he represents stability, continuity, and he's the safe choice, that's exactly what Japan does not need right now. Japan has had that for the last nine years. Prime Minister Abe talked about shaking up the economy. He did very little. He turned the keys over to Prime Minister Suga for one year, who did nothing. And now we're turning the keys over to another, another guy who is going to be safe and who is going to maintain continuity. But is that what Japan needs at a moment when the economy is falling further and further behind China, at a moment when the COVID-19 risks are still with us as we speak?
2: So uh, do you think the country could benefit then from a, a more radical approach? I mean, he's described as a moderate liberal, isn't he? And uh, uh, I see he's expected perhaps to take the country slightly to the left. But um, um, what's, what's needed to you know, get things going again properly?
7: Well, not really, because when you look at who's really holding the puppet strings, it's former Prime Minister Abe, it's former Deputy Prime Minister Aso, and in many ways, is Mr. Kishida able to be his own man? That is something he'll have to prove going forward. And I think the reason why people are not all that optimistic at the moment is because I think that, you know, if you look at how global investors are viewing this, the Nikkei stock market was surging in recent weeks because they hoped for a reformer to replace Prime Minister Suga. They were hoping for someone like uh, Taro Kono, who had been the with the previous uh, vaccination czar in Japan. And he's a U.S.-educated, uh, fluent English-speaking politician. And I think people looked at him and thought, well, he could be interesting. But they went with a safe choice. And, and in many ways, people are looking at this new government. And I think the assumption is that 12 months from now, we'll be just naming another another government.
1: And looking at Mr. Kushida's new cabinet. It's made up of uh, many allies of former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, but 13 out of the 20 members, they they have no previous cabinet experience and their average age is uh, 61. So what what do you make of that?
7: Well, I think that's uh, that's the plan. The plan is basically to put a government in that will do very little to shake up the status quo. Um, So if you are the ruling Liberal Democratic Party, And you're looking for the next Abe, the next leader who can step in and be around for seven, eight, nine years. Uh, Mr. Kishida is a placeholder, right? He's someone who is going to be around for 12 months. He's naming a very, very safe cabinet that won't do a whole lot. And the whole idea is just to basically put Japan and Japanese politics on hold until we find the, uh, you know, I'd say a more charismatic leader to march the nation into the future.
2: Is 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 there someone out there?
7: Well... I mean, the most common question you hear here in political circles is, well, who else? Um, You know, I mean, you had a couple of women running for prime minister this time around. You have Seiko Noda. Um, She's, uh, you know, she's got a cabinet post, uh, but she was gunning to become Japan's first female prime minister. I mean, for me, I found her to be the most interesting because her portfolio, uh, you know, basically is telecommunications, it's reform, it's digitalization, it's gender politics. And I always thought she would be an interesting person to look at. She's about 61 years old, so, you know, she's right in the ballpark, age-wise, so she's someone to keep an eye on. And, you know, Mr. Kono, he might always come back next, next time around. We'll see.
2: And and what is uh, the uh, ascension of Fumio Kishida to Prime Minister going to mean for Japan's relations with China?
7: Well, I think very little. I think basically when you look at what mr kishida needs to do at the moment it's really focusing on COVID. it's focusing on keeping the economy from falling into a deeper recession and i think kishida when you look at his early steps his early phone calls he's all about the u.s he's all about making sure that that's joe biden and the kishida administration are on the same page i think in many ways japan looked at the trump era and they realized that that wasn't really good for japan uh, most of trump's policies were basically in direct uh, conflict with what Japan wanted in terms of Asia and the future. And so for Kushida, it's all about the U.S. It's less about China and South Korea, which you could argue it might be actually a good thing because the idea that you have a nationalist in place in Japan right now um, rattling a saber, that wouldn't really be good for North Asian relations.
1: Uh, and like you just mentioned, uh, Mr. Kishida's priority will be to lead Japan out of the coronavirus pandemic. But, but looking at his new cabinet and what he's said so far as prime minister, do you think it's likely he will be able to do that?
7: Well, I mean, the good thing for Japan is that the numbers are trending in the right direction. I mean, I, I was wrong about the Olympics. I really thought the Olympics would be a super spreader event for COVID-19. So far, people like me have been proven wrong. The numbers are trending in the right direction. The vaccination rates um, are now exceeding the U.S. and Europe. So Japan is on the right track where that's concerned. But Japan is in this kind of stop-go cycle where it opens up the economy when the infection rates go down. It opens up things very rapidly when the infection rates go, when the the infection rates uh, stabilize. And so basically start, stop, go. And so are we still in this cycle? And I think for Kishida, the idea is going to be leading Japan into – a future where COVID is actually in the rearview mirror, not about to pop up in the next two months, uh, forcing Japan to return to a state of emergency situation. We've been in this cycle for two years now. The question is where we'll be, say, in December of 2021. And no one can say at this point.
2: You mentioned the Olympics. Is there any hangover from that? Because. It, uh they were somewhat unpopular among the uh, Japanese population holding the uh, Tokyo Games uh, in the middle of the pandemic. Um, What uh, was the impact on the popularity um, of uh, Mr. Kishida's party?
5: Well, I think, you know, Mr.
7: Kishida mentioned a word this week that is scaring people already, and that is taxes. Um, There's been a lot of concerns about taxes increasing to pay for the Olympics, and If you read the Financial Times this week, uh, there are some hints that Mr. Kushida is already looking in that direction. We, you know, here in Tokyo, we worry about taxes going up nationally. We worry about taxes going up. And Japan raised sales taxes in 2019, just on the eve of the pandemic, which was, you know, which was disastrous and the economy fell into recession. So if there's anything Japan does not need in the COVID era, at a time when it's trying to compete with China, It's higher taxes to pay for an Olympic event that is in the rearview mirror. So that's going to be a political challenge for Kushida going forward.
1: And in uh, Mr. Kushida's uh, first address as prime minister earlier this week, uh, he proposed a recovery package uh, worth uh, several tens of trillions of yen to help steer Japan's economy out of the uh, pandemic-induced slump. Do you have any idea what the money will be used for?
7: I mean, that is a good question, because Japan's been doing this for 25 years now, more and more and more money. Last year, in 2020, Japan spent $2.2 trillion to stabilize the economy amid the COVID virus. That's 40% of GDP. So what is more spending going to do? What Japan needs is a supply side shakeup. It needs to increase competitiveness. It needs to modernize labor markets. It needs to empower women. It needs to reduce bureaucracy. It doesn't need more money. So throwing money at the problem is fine for the next six months but it doesn't help Japan become more competitive for the next six years, say. And you know, China, for all the concerns we have about what President Xi Jinping is doing with, the, you know, with tech titans and that kind of thing, China is certainly spending money on the future on 2025, and Japan right now is throwing money at the economy for the short run, but what is it doing to re-engineer the economy to be more competitive five, 10 years from now? And that really is the question.
1: And uh, there will be a general election coming up. What can we expect?
7: Well, I mean, the Liberal Democratic Party benefits from the fact that the opposition parties are in complete disarray. So they will probably win the election in a walk. And that will give Mr. Kushida a bit more of a mandate to focus on, you know, basically consolidating power and trying to put some reform wins on the scoreboard. But in some ways, you know, if you look at the negative aspect of that, the fact that there is no competitive, you know, competition from the opposition forces doesn't necessarily light a fire under the LDP to act. So you know, political complacency is, is here in Japan as we speak. And the question is, what does it mean for the next two to five years? And that's anyone's guess, but I'll be here to talk about it.
1: All right, that's good to hear. And uh, we'll just have to leave it there because we are out of time, William. But thank you very much indeed for joining us. That's uh, William Pisek, in a, in a Tokyo-based journalist and author. Also, many thanks to our guests in the first half of the program, as well as to all of you who commented through email. We'll be back at uh, 8.30 tomorrow. and. Uh, we're leaving you with the weather. It's going to be hot and dry with highs of around 32 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh easterlies, strong offshore at first. The strong monsoon signal is now in force. And the outlook hot with sunny intervals tomorrow, windy with squally showers on Friday and over the weekend. Right now it's 29 degrees, relative humidity 65%.
0: The Labor
3: Department will hold the Turning a New Page job fair at McPherson Stadium in Mong Kok on October 12th and 13th. More than 50 employers will offer a wide range of job vacancies and accept applications on the spot. Please visit the Labor Department website at www.jobs.gov.hk or call 2153-3984
0: for details.
1: It's now 9.30, the news with Vicky Wong.
8: Ways to boost land and housing supply are expected to be key focuses in Chief Executive Carrie Lam's policy address later this morning. Among the ideas being floated to boost land supply in the new territories are the development of wetlands near Lok Ma Chau and making it easier for indigenous villagers to trigger the sale of ancestral land. Health authorities say an Indonesian maid has tested preliminary positive for COVID-19 after completing her 21 days of quarantine last month. Since September the 25th, the helper has been staying at her employer's home at Block 37 of Heng-Fa-Chun. The government says anyone present at the block for more than two hours during this period must take a COVID test. She also visited Victoria Park on Friday and Monday. Anyone who is there between 1 and 5 in the afternoon on these two days must also take a test. And a Macau lawmaker says authorities have so far managed to test about half of the residents in the SAR in a city-wide COVID testing campaign. It follows the discovery of four confirmed coronavirus cases in mainland renovation workers and Vietnamese labourers who work in the same place. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew.
3: A uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Design, great interpreter of Beethoven. And That's why oh-so-shy, quiet and retiring doggy council, co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adult, it's not really for kids.
5: Yeah, well,
3: it's fun, you know. Decide what's happening behind the myth.
6: In-depth interviews and also observations.
3: Absolutely no way.
6: On
7: your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew.
3: Very good morning to you. Welcome to Wednesday. It is Morning Brute Light today. Cuz at eleven o'clock, after a short overture from Jim Gould, we're gonna be broadcasting the 2021 policy address live here on Radio 3. But at 10:10, a little earlier than normal, composer and conductor Colin Touchin joins me for our weekly classical music chat. Got some wonderful musical examples. He's gonna show you how some of the great composers wrote about colours. Yeah, normal service will be resumed tomorrow morning.